Hi guys, I'm Amy. Welcome back to another interview episode of Adopted, a podcast made by Asian adoptees for Asian adoptees. Today, we're joined by a very special guest, Kira Omens. Hi. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Kira. I was adopted from China, from Zhongshan, China, which is southern China, um, just outside of Guangzhou in the Guangdong province. Right now, I am living in Los Angeles, California, and I am a full-time audiobook narrator and film actor and model out here. That is so exciting and so cool. How did you get into doing all of that stuff? I started acting in high school and have just stuck with it ever since. I went to governor school my junior year, which is a theater intensive and just absolutely fell in love with it. And I've been performing since I was very little. I was doing Chinese dance, which was the main way I have stayed in touch with my Chinese culture as an adoptee um, since I was four years old. So I've been performing since I was pretty little and then just started doing theater in high school and just fell in love with it and have been doing it ever since. That's awesome that you found something that you were passionate about and it's just kind of been able to continue in your life. I think that's really special. Yes, definitely. Were you always open with others about your adoption um, or being adopted in general? Not always. When I did the Pacific Miss Asian American pageant in 2015, I had intercultural understanding and communication as my platform. And that was when I really started to put myself into the adoptee circles and the adoptee community and get to know other people who had similar life experiences to me. And I think that was really when I started to become more comfortable with talking about my adoption story and help be a voice for adoptees. That's really awesome. Um, what inspired you to to participate in the pageant? My dance teacher had been trying to get me to do the pageant for a little while, and during one of my dance performances, the PR director of the pageant actually saw me perform and came up and recruited me, and I got to go to the pageant the year previous to mine and just see all of the girls up there, and they were all so talented and smart and well-spoken and just were leaders in their community. And so it wasn't my stereotypical idea of what a pageant normally was, which was all like foo-foo-y, all about appearances mm -hmm. and like all, all beauty, no brains. But these women were really the whole package. And I just really wanted to be able to stand up on that stage and to express my own beliefs and just be a role model in my community. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's easy to get lost in the mindset of you know, what we think a pageant is, but really, you know, the amount of other things that have to go into it other than just, you know, the media will point out as it it's a lot of guts and a lot of work. And I could never do half the things that those girls up there do. So big oh, props absolutely. To you. Absolutely. I mean, that was the only one I did. There are some girls who do so many of them and I just have so much respect for them. It is really not easy. So yeah, but it was a really fun experience. Awesome. Is um, adoption is something that your family is also, you know, open with discussing with you or other people? Yes, definitely. My parents have always been really good about fostering an open communication with my family. My brother is also adopted. He's a Korean adoptee. Oh, and wow. so um, and then I have another I have a younger sister who's my parents biological child. Mm -hmm. And my parents have always been super open to talking about our adoption stories with us. We knew we were adopted from the get-go. It was never a surprise. I mean, 
My parents are also white, so it also yeah. <laughs> it also wouldn't have made sense for them to hide anything from us. Yeah. But they also have been really open and communicative and always super transparent with us, which I think is why I'm very well adjusted in talking about my story. Yeah, being honest and for me, being honest and hearing everything, you know, right from the guy, I never remember a time when I didn't know I was adopted. Again, I also have white parents, so you can't really hide that. <laughs> but that is just really, I think, key for any parent in general who has adoption is being open and honest with whatever questions, even if they're a little uncomfortable. I completely agree. That's awesome that your family, you know, really wanted to uh, share that with you and that idea. <laughs> I completely agree with that. Yes. What is the reaction you normally get when somebody finds out you're adopted? I think that they usually have questions or, I mean, usually the reaction is like, oh, cool. And I'm like, I'm sure, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, I guess that's a, something different about me. Um, it's not always cool, but <laughs> um, I mean, usually people have questions like where I was adopted from. I have definitely run into, as I'm sure many other adoptees have run into people who have just too many prying questions and mm -hmm. don't seem to realize that it's a very personal experience. And so not everyone is super comfortable talking about it. Luckily, I am. So um, I don't tend to feel as uncomfortable when those questions are asked. But I mean, I definitely have encountered people who just feel like they're entitled to know a lot of information that they not they are not necessarily entitled to know. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, for the most part, I think it's just mostly curiosity that I mm -hmm. encounter. That makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. Especially since you're a little bit more in the, the public eye, I guess people in general feel like they're able to ask those kinds of questions, but especially about something as personal as adoption, it's it's a little you know, a little uncomfortable at times, maybe. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, I've already shared a lot, so... For some t for some questions, I'm like, I totally understand why someone would feel comfortable asking me that because I've already shared this much. But mm -hmm. I think as a general rule, it's important that people know that everyone is very different. And just because I feel comfortable answering certain questions or talking about certain topics doesn't mean that all adoptees are. And I only can speak for myself. Absolutely. That is a great thing to point out, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I know for me, um, my friends... It's also a little bit different when somebody in that adoptee community asks, not because I'm we're trying to gatekeep or anything, but right, you know, right. there's an idea and this common thread that all adoptees, regardless of you know Asian or not, um, have with each other, and it just, as they say, it hits different coming from somebody who has you know that kind of part of their history and a part of them too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, have you ever struggled with your identity? Yes, absolutely. I think that growing up, I had a typical adoptee identity struggle where I just was too, like, I looked too Chinese to fit in with American kids, but I was raised in such an American environment that I didn't fit in with other Asian kids. Mm -hmm. And so it was such a conflicting just a conflicting identity that I took a long time to really embrace that about myself and just view that as an asset rather than as a deficient just because I think that the world loves to categorize you and make you feel like you need to belong in one place in one circle and mm -hmm. adoptees just can't do that by nature just the way that we were raised and 
international adoptees, the way that we look. So I think that I definitely struggled with just embracing that part of myself and saying, you know, it's okay that I don't fit into one box. I think that makes me more unique and that's Mm -hmm. a good thing. So I think I definitely struggled when I was younger. I mean, I went to a predominantly white elementary and middle school Mm -hmm. and um, wasn't surrounded by as much diversity in my daily life. I did Chinese dance and martial arts, so that had a more diverse group. But on a daily basis, I wasn't seeing other people that looked like me. There weren't Asian people in mainstream media. A lot. Mm -hmm. It was like really special when there was, right? Like Mulan was our thing, you know? Oh my God, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think that because of that, I just didn't see any camaraderie and felt very alone and isolated. And because of that, had a hard time accepting my culture and had a hard time accepting a lot of different aspects of myself. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing all of that. You know, that feeling is something that everybody, especially, you know, us in this unique community can experience. Um, it's a personal journey, but thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that just in my work in adoption communities, I just, I think it's so important that people know that they're not alone and that even if we don't understand the exact situation, like we've all been, we've all been there. We all have similar emotions and can really support each other and lift each other up. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as many, you know, bad or um, upsetting things are going on with everything going on in the world right now, there's also been a lot of love um, from, mm-hmm. you know, especially the Asian adoptee community um, with all the all the things happening in the global uh, situation. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have any advice for, you know, maybe some young adoptees or just other adoptees experiencing those feelings? Um, what you would what would you say to them? Yes, I think that I would say find adoptee communities online or just connect with other people. I mean, they don't even necessarily have to be adoptees, but I think that the adoptee community is so supportive and just here for you. And there are a lot of different outlets that you can look into. I mean, even just looking at blogs like Dear Adoption and Overcoming Odds and all of these different podcasts like this one, just to hear adoptee voices, know that you're not alone, and to really surround yourself with a community of supportive people so that you feel like a part of something larger than yourself, because I think that that will really help you um, work through those feelings. It's not an easy journey. And I know for myself, like I go back and forth, like right now I consider myself very well adjusted and very secure with myself. But I mean, especially with everything that's going on in the world with all the racism towards Asian Americans, it's very easy to feel marginalized and to just feel like you don't belong. And so I think that surrounding yourself with a community of people who will, yes, make sure that you know you do belong here and there are people who care about you. I really think that that will help a lot. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, And then I don't know, we've talked about this before a little bit on the podcast, but there's Mm -hmm. um, one big Facebook group, Subtle Asian Adoptee Trades. I don't know if you're in it as well, Kira. Yes, I am. I love that group. It's my, (laughs) honestly, like it's my go-to favorite group when I want to, you know, get a good laugh or talk about something personal. It's just, that is found, yeah, that's given me a lot of strength with everything going on. Oh, same. I think that 
The environment in that group is so great because I think that people feel safe and comfortable commenting and leaving, just posting and getting that support. Um, it's and also, yeah, it's really funny. A lot of the time, they're great, great memes. <laughs> yeah. Memes always on point. <laughs> It's a great meter of group judgment, at least for me. It's like, but how good are the memes, my friends? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so I know that you do the dance and the taekwondo, correct? Yes. And you mentioned that those are the ways that you, from a young age, stayed connected with your culture. Um, are there any other ways or what drew you to those in particular? When I was little, I really just loved to dance, and my parents would take me to a lot of cultural festivals. I think that that's another way that I've kept in touch with my culture. I, Chinese dance has led me to perform at a lot of great cultural festivals when I lived in Washington, D.C., and there was just so much diversity in the community, and mm -hmm. so I think that that really helped me um, stay in touch with my culture. As far as dance, I saw my dance troupe perform at one of those festivals mm -hmm. when I was young that my parents took me to. I was like four and I loved it. And so they went up and found the organizer and enrolled me in the classes. And I was, I've been doing it ever since. Awesome. Um, I love it still. And I mean, I, I, it's hard to put into words exactly what dancing means to me, especially cultural Chinese dance. But mm -hmm. I just loved that from such a young age. And my parents really fostered that and I, they enrolled me in Chinese school, which I hated at the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, I have yet to meet an adoptee who was enrolled in Chinese school who was just like, oh, that was the best time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because it was like on a Sunday and we all just wanted to play. And so, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I mean, my dad was really nice. Like, in, I feel like in solidarity, he also took adult Chinese classes so Aww. that I wasn't by myself, but I still hated it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I really, sure. I, yeah, I really regret it now because I'm trying to learn Mandarin and it's very difficult. And I feel like if I had stuck with it when I was younger, then mm -hmm. things would be much easier for me now. But yeah, so they tried to give me a lot of different outlets to connect to my culture. I think dance was really the only thing that really stuck with me. Mm -hmm. Um just because it's something I've always been really passionate about. Yeah. Especially when you're so young, it's hard to, you know, kids are honest and they'll tell you how it is. If they don't like something, <laughs> they're not going to put much effort into it. Um, mm -hmm. I wish that there was some kind of like second chance Chinese school for all us older, you know, <laughs> Chinese or adoptees or anybody um, to, you know, I feel like it's such a common thing to hear. I really wish I had listened in Chinese school. I really wish I had gone when I was a kid. We need like second chance Chinese school. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my goodness. I would love that. That would be amazing. I would totally attend, you know, make Same. it, put it on Zoom with everything else and we'll we'll get it all over the country. <laughs> oh, the really? That would be great. I love that idea. I would so do that. Right? <laughs> I hear of anything, I'll send it your way. Oh, yes, please. Yes, please. And same with you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Uh, when you were doing these um, things to connect with your culture and everything, did you encounter any struggles um, or barriers that you felt? I think that my main barrier was just sometimes I felt like such an imposter just mm -hmm. where, I don't know, I felt so white 
just because of my upbringing. And it wasn't even anything that I think my parents could have done differently. I mean, mm-hmm. they're white, so they're not going to pretend to be Chinese parents. That doesn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> just to make me feel more immersed. Mm-hmm. But I doing a lot of the activities, I mean, luckily in my dance troupe, there were a fair amount of other adoptees in the troupe. And awesome. my dance teacher was great. Like, mm-hmm. there was nothing about that environment that made me feel that was trying to make me feel like I didn't belong there. I think it was just an internal thing where I, again, felt like an imposter and of my own culture, of my own race. <laughs> and like, I didn't grow up in this environment. I don't really belong here. And I think that just speaks to what we were talking about previously, about mm-hmm. not feeling completely one thing or the other. And so I think that that was the main barrier. It was just a mental barrier of like, I don't feel like I belong here. I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I just like when I was in middle school, I was thinking that I just wanted to just fully embrace being American and just leave anything to do with China and Chinese culture or anything mm-hmm. to do with that behind. And so maybe I would fit in more. And mm-hmm. I mean, the reality is I just couldn't do that. I mean, I look the way that I look and that's right. always how people are going to see me. So it mm-hmm. was definitely a challenging journey and definitely a lot of internal obstacles to overcome. Absolutely. I think that, you know, you speak about feeling like that imposter. I think that's definitely something that we've all felt and experienced. They even call it, I think, imposter syndrome where you, Mm. you know, you do belong and you, this is part of who we are, but we can't help but feel like that outsider just trying to fit in and slipping under the radar of everybody else. Yes, absolutely. Do you have any advice to fellow adoptees either young or people, you know, around um, my age, trying to get into those those cultural connections and, you know, starting up maybe dance or anything else? I think my only advice would just be go for it. Go for it with everything you have. I think that passion goes such a long way. And the people that run those activities, whether it's a dance class or I know my brother took Korean drumming, whether you're learning an instrument or some other kind of Mm -hmm. art form or just getting more involved in learning about Mm -hmm. the history and culture of your birthplace. I just think go for it. I think that those people who run those are usually very accepting, at least in my own experiences. They're just Mm -hmm. excited that someone else is excited about learning what they know and I mean, I think in general, teachers just get excited when their students are excited to learn from them. And Mm -hmm. so I think that if you just go for it and do your research and just learn what you can and be passionate about what you do, then I think that that will become a really fulfilling and rewarding journey for you. That's awesome. Sometimes I personally, I always think, oh, I want to learn this, but I feel too old. And I think that the advice of just, you know, just try it, go for it. Um, Realistically, I know that learning new things, it's something that can happen at any age. So I think that that that's really important to to consider, you know, just put yourself out there. (laughs) Absolutely. Especially during a time like this where we're all confined to our homes and just learning is one of the only things we can do. (laughs) I mean, you can just look things up and just learn it. You can learn so many new skills online or take a class or enroll in a language learning program or anything like that. I mean, I I definitely feel similarly because for some of my activities, I started when I was so young. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, if I wanted to learn this and become an expert, I would have needed to start 
when I was like four, which is not true. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about pretty much everything I ever think about joining. (laughs) I know because there's just some people who started when they were so young and then it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, I'll never catch up to them. And then it's like, okay, well, I need to stop comparing myself to people who've been doing this for like 20 years now. So... (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I think that it's something that we all, part of us is like, you know, intellectually, I know, but like hewing it and just getting those like, it is never too late. Don't compare yourself. That is so valuable to hear. Thank you. Absolutely. I constantly have to remind myself, just compare yourself to what you did yesterday and you're on your own journey. There are a million reasons why someone did something then and why you're doing something now. And it's just, you. It, it's really not a fair comparison. So just comparing yourself to yourself is a healthy mindset to have and definitely easier said than done, but just Mm -hmm. something I need to keep reminding myself. And I know that it can be helpful for other people to hear. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So you mentioned that you did go to Chinese school. Is there any level of Chinese that you remember? Or is it kind of, I know for a lot of people, it's in one ear out the other at this age after (laughs) it all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a bit. My, like I said, my dad attended the classes with me. And Mm. on the way home, together, we would just count in Chinese. So when someone would start and then we just go back and forth. And it was always like a contest because neither of us wanted to say in Chinese. (laughs) Because that was the hardest one. And so whoever got the even numbers, we were like, ah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Yeah, so numbers and basic greetings were what I really retained. And at the pageant events, there are always like Chinese people love raffles. And so I was like, I am so good at raffles. I know my number. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) No, that is Um, so true, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I know there are always raffles. It's great. And, um, (laughs) but. I picked up a little bit of Chinese just from the events and from having to communicate with people or just telling people, like, I don't speak Chinese in Chinese, (laughs) Um, things like that. But I have been trying to learn and pick it up again. I'm just not as disciplined a self-student slash teacher. (laughs) Oh, I feel Um, you on that one. (laughs) I need to make a schedule for myself or something or maybe get Rosetta Stone or another language learning program. My brother is a prodigy at learning languages. I can't even tell you how many languages he speaks. Like already English and Spanish fluently and Chinese and Korean are getting to almost fluent and just he Mm -hmm. speaks a bunch of different languages. So I've been trying to take advantage of his knowledge, but I'm also – my brain just does not work like that. It's very – like I will always – translate foreign languages into English in my mind rather than he's just like just try to start thinking in a foreign language and I was like I can't do that so (laughs) Um, yeah it's definitely difficult so to long story short I have not retained a lot of information or a lot of language (laughs) yeah it's it's tough too especially because if you're not using it constantly or regularly it just even the best people start to, to lose that. And for us who mm-hmm. we're just trying to learn and it's not surrounding us all the time, it's extra barriers to learning and retaining all that. Yes, absolutely. And it just gets harder as you get older, which I keep trying to tell myself. So mm-hmm. I just need to do it. <laughs> yeah. I know. Just like that um, Shia LaBeouf meme, just do it. That's what I'm <laughs> to tell myself. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Have you ever returned to your birth country or – had a desire to? 
I have not returned to China, but I would really like to. I don't have anything in the works right now. I mean, obviously not right right now, but before yeah. <laughs> all of this happened, yeah. I hadn't had like a set trip. I know of, I don't remember the name of the organization, but um, some girls from my dance did a trip where it's free for Chinese adoptees what? to go back. You only have to pay for airfare, but the traveling around China and the tours and things is free for Chinese adoptees. I'll have to look this up later. Um, And yeah, it's great. I believe that guests get a discounted rate for the tours and everything. So if you want to bring someone, I believe you can. I really can't remember the name of the organization that did that, but I would really like to do something like that in the future. I just haven't been able to carve out any time for an international trip. I've actually yeah. never even traveled outside of the country since I was born or born in China. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's definitely something I'd like to do just for myself to learn more about the culture that I was born into and just mm-hmm. learn more about China in general. Um, yeah. But no, I haven't been back and would really like to. Would you want to go back to, you know, like the place you were born or do kind of that or just um, desire to go to China in general or both? Both, definitely. I know that Zhongshan really isn't like a huge tourist destination. I mean, I looked it up. It's a very pretty city Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely would like to go back there. I also know that it's very different from when my parents went to China. It has undergone a lot of construction Mm -hmm. when my parents adopted me in 1996. It had so much construction being done and now it looks like a totally different city they've seen pictures and they were like whoa there's not cranes everywhere or whatever (laughs) Um, but yeah so I definitely want to go back there and then just do some really basic touristy thing yeah totally (laughs) I don't know I'm a a sucker for that kind of stuff I know that some people when they travel they're just like no I want to live like a local and I'm like I definitely would like that but I definitely like doing cheesy touristy things like just go see pandas and walk on the great wall all i wanted to see the pandas (laughs) (laughs) i mean there's yeah who doesn't my favorite animal non-domesticated like oh yes 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 when you said also go to the great wall absolutely oh yes oh yeah you have to i mean I just can't imagine being like oh yes i went to china no i didn't see the great wall right (laughs) i don't know yeah You can totally have a mix of that, you know, living the local experience, but then also, you know, getting your like moments and that, you know, in the touristy spotlight. Because one, really, it's a great time to be a tourist, at least in terms of like, like that is when you go to another country, that is the time to, by definition, be a tourist. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm not trying to convince these people I'm a local. I'm definitely a tourist. (laughs) And I'm totally fine with just walking around with my camera taking pictures. But yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like a really cool trip. Just, I mean, I know some adoptees who have been back to their birth countries and just have really enjoyed their time. And I mean, just going in with no expectations and then just absorbing all of the sights and sounds and information that you learn. It just sounds really rewarding. Absolutely. And then I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, you could bring a guest at like a discount because... One, I've definitely always wanted to go with like another adoptee or somebody else who gets that, but also like be my emotional support because I imagine it's a very, you know, as much fun as it can be, it's also very heavy and, you know, tumultuous internally. So having, you know, both of those worlds, if they can't be combined in the same uh, person, that would be really valuable. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, I I can only imagine and definitely have thought about trying to prepare myself for that. Just, I mean, it's so weird. Just sometimes I get into a mindset where I'm like, if things hadn't worked out the way they did, Mm -hmm. I could be in China right now and just living there. So I'm sure that going back there, those feelings are going to be heightened by a lot. Just like this could be where I live. Yeah. And it's so different from the United States, just Mm -hmm. culturally, like everything is so, so different. So it's really mind boggling to think about. Exactly. I feel like, I mean, of course, there's moments in everybody's life where it's like, oh, if this hadn't happened, you know, where would my life be now? But I don't, I try to explain this to somebody not adopted, but like, I feel like for adoptees, like that moment of like being adopted, that really like that, I can't think of many other life altering decisions um, that result in such a drastic change as, you know, your parents adopting you. It just Yes. Yes. Not. It really is just, like you said, completely life-altering and just blows your mind mm-hmm. to think about. I mean, because we don't remember, or at least I shouldn't say we, um, as in everyone, but adoptees who were adopted when they were really little mm-hmm. don't remember anything about their birthplace. And so all that they know is the environment that they were raised in. Mm -hmm. And so just to think that we went on this huge, life-altering, crazy, horrible, um, changing adventure when we were like one or like really little Mm -hmm. um, is is absolutely mind-boggling. Exactly. It's a lot to think about. Mm -hmm. So I know from um, some of the videos that you've put out on your YouTube channel, you've had a little bit of experience with 23andMe. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I did the 23andMe DNA test. I also did Ancestry and National Geographic. But I think that for me, 23andMe was the most comprehensive or gave me the most information that Mm -hmm. I was interested in learning. And it was really interesting. I had never thought about doing something like that. And my brother was really into it. So my parents got it for Christmas for all of us. And I was just like actually very nervous because I was like, if I'm not Chinese, like how I felt. <laughs> what is my life? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like my life is a lie. Um and so my parents thought that I might be mixed um mm-hmm. because of my certain facial features, mm-hmm. but I was not. I was like 23andMe did this weird thing where they changed certain things because when I first put in the result, it said I was like 90 plus percent Chinese and then the rest was broadly Southeast Asian. Mm -hmm. But now I'm like 78 to 80 percent Chinese and then like they broke it down and I'm like 5 percent Vietnamese and like Mm -hmm. 2 percent Thai or something like that. And so it's kind of um, weird how they've broken it down or I just like my results changed Mm -hmm. and one day and I was very confused but definitely dominantly Chinese (laughs) Um, and it was really cool like they have a lot of different features on there you can I haven't done the health history option which I was curious about um, to see what they can learn about learn from your DNA about your health history because, I mean, as adoptees, we don't know anything about what runs in our families as far as diseases or things like that. So I'd be curious about that. They also just have a lot of random 
um, information and it's very educational. I thought it was a really cool experience and I got to meet a fourth um, or so cousin through that who is also adopted. So That's that was amazing. really cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was it was really wild when we when she reached out to me, she was like, oh, we're fourth or so cousins. Like, you know how when you do those mm -hmm. DNA tests, you get a lot of uh, just so many cousins. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> usually everyone's very distant. I didn't have any close relatives that were identified. But when she reached out to me, I was just like, oh, my goodness. And then we found out that we lived two hours away from oh each other. And we were both adopted. It was just completely wild. But it was a really cool experience to meet her. Yeah. Oh, I can't even imagine. I mean, I know you talked a little bit about it on your channel, but just hearing you talk about it now too is just like, uh, I can't even imagine the feelings that must have been running through you and her just, you know, having that connection. You guys are both so close and both adopted. That's amazing. Yeah, it was crazy. It just felt like so many things were aligning. And it was really fun talking to her too because mm -hmm. I just felt like after that we were looking for any little thing that we had in common. She's like, oh, we both like the arts. Like we both like theater. Oh. <laughs> and like, oh, we both like lo mein. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we are related. You can tell. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's really cool. I mean, some of our listeners, as you know, you know, it's incredibly difficult to find we adopted literally anybody who has something even close to being blood relation. So just that one person, even though you're third or fourth cousins, that's amazing. My heart is full for you guys and my mind is Aww. blown. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, it was it was really, really cool. And I definitely hope that other people are able to learn a lot from doing the DNA tests. I know that mm -hmm. we were incredibly fortunate to have been able to find each other and even to be able to meet up just that circumstances were crazy yeah. and we just ended up living close to each other. But I mean, it's, yeah, it was, it was a really wonderful experience and thank you. I'm so happy for you guys. <laughs> thank you. I know you talked um, in your Q&A video, I believe, about, you know, the decision to look for your birth parents or how's that going? Um, is that something that you want to talk about a little bit? Sure. I, for most of my life, did not feel a strong desire to know my birth parents or look for them or anything. I had just never felt that need in my heart and just had no desire to even be connected to them remotely. And mm -hmm. I think that as I grew up, I had a lot of different conflicting emotions about that. Sometimes I'd really want to. I When I first saw the documentary One Child Nation, right after that, I got really into researching how I would go about a birth parent search. Mm -hmm. And actually, a lot of my suspicions were confirmed just because of the situation surrounding my adoption mm -hmm. and the very little information that I have. It would be extremely difficult and expensive and involved mm -hmm. to even begin a search. Yeah. And so personally, I just ended up being like, I don't know if I want to do that. Um, not even just because it would be difficult, but just because I have my life here and don't always feel that like sometimes I feel that pull to maybe look and see if I can do some more but mm -hmm. mostly I'm just like very happy with where I am right now and I think that at least at this point in my life I the only thing that I would like to do is for them to know that I'm safe and healthy and very happy with mm -hmm. where I am and that everything turned out okay because I just can't even imagine 
the situation that birth parents are in Mm -hmm. to give up their child like that. And I know that in China, like there are a lot of political reasons as to why that may have come about and why so many um, adoptees came to the United States. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that just for myself, the only thing, like I said, that I would want to do is for them to know that everything worked out for me and that I'm not unhappy where Mm -hmm. I am. Um, But I, I think that as far as the actual search, again, for me, it would be very, very difficult. Um, So I just kind of made peace with the fact that that'll just be a great unsolved mystery in my life. Mm -hmm. That totally makes sense. You know, it's a, sometimes it's a hard pill to swallow, but it's a realistic pill to kind of think about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes. Yes. Um, to switch gears a little bit, um, I know we talked a little bit before about, um, you know, your career and everything. What is your favorite part about, you know, being an actress? And then how does that compare to the voice acting and the the audiobooks that you do? I think that my favorite part about being an actress is just the characterization And I feel like whenever I get to play a character, I just get to learn so much about someone else Mm -hmm. who is just so many things and that aren't myself. And I love being able to step into someone else's life and someone else's shoes and just learn as much as I can about their life and their situations to be able to portray that character. I think that, I mean, character psychology and storytelling is something that I've been really connected to since I was really little. I just have really latched on to stories. And now as I've gotten older, I majored in theater in college. I got my BFA in performing arts. Mm -hmm. And so it was really cool to be able to study characterization and that aspect of acting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I also do enjoy the business side, though. I genuinely enjoy going to auditions and interviews and networking events and that side of it too. So I just think that as a career, I'd enjoy all of the different aspects of it, which is why I think that like, I think that if you're going to go into a artistic career, you just have to love it so much because so many aspects of it are really hard and really difficult to stomach sometimes. And so Mm -hmm. I just think that that underlying fiery passion is what's going to keep you going in a career like this. But I really love all aspects of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that I get to do a lot of the things that I love about acting in my voice acting as well, but it's just trying to convey so much more through just your voice, which was definitely a learning curve Mm -hmm. because I was like, oh, I thought I was sounding really dynamic, but then when I played it back, it sounded really flat. So Mm -hmm. just learning about that tool Um, as an actor that I have, I think has just made me a stronger performer in general Mm -hmm. when I'm doing film because I have more vocal choices, I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I'm really fortunate that I just get to perform all the time. I I feel really, really lucky that I've been able to break into that industry and just get to do what I love because I know that that's a gift and not everyone gets to do that. That's amazing. I've always been really fascinated and interested into voice acting. Just from exactly what you said, you know, you have to portray everything that you would with your body, with just your voice. And I think that's incredible, incredibly challenging, but also incredible when it's done well. 
Yes, it really is. And I love watching behind the scenes videos of famous voice actors just getting their entire bodies into it yeah. to try and just really convey um, whatever it, their character is going through yeah. with just their voice. Um, it's really fun. And I I just think it's a really fun area of acting to explore because I mean, I, like I mentioned, I can do it from my house and <laughs> um, just I have my own little home studio and I just get out of bed and I can just sit down and start acting and it's great. <laughs> That's really cool. What has your experience been like as an Asian adoptee in the entertainment industry? It has been a whirlwind. I think that when I first started out, there was still there were still not as many rules for Asian people in movies and TV. I think that was one of the reasons why I started to move away from theater a little bit, just because I felt that with so many shows that were being produced around me, that diversity wasn't as much of a priority. Mm -hmm. I think that I'm much more suited to a more modern American audience, just mm -hmm. because in certain theater shows that took place in like the Victorian era or where mm -hmm. the whole cast is a family and there are never enough Asian actors right. in those small communities mm -hmm. to make an entire family. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. I mean, like when directors are directing those things, they always picture white people. And so it's mm -hmm. it was definitely challenging in that way. So I started to lean more towards film and at the time, I think that stereotypes were being played up so much, and so my martial arts skills came in handy. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I can play that Asian assassin. Mm -hmm. um, and I obviously wanted to do more than just that, but I think that that was just a viable way for me to try and break into the industry and right. then hopefully expand from there mm -hmm. the way some other actors in Hollywood have had to do. Yeah. Um, but then Crazy Rich Asians came out, yes. and my agent – how started submitting me for more than just like bit characters like babysitter or nurse with two lines yeah. or like um, nail technician or something like that. Yeah. And so I started to see a lot more opportunities after that. I mean, I think that I don't know how people outside of the entertainment industry have viewed how much Crazy Rich Asians has affected the Asian experience mm -hmm. in Hollywood, but it has definitely, just for me, who's not even like a big name actor, seeing those opportunities and having directors be more open-minded to, oh, anyone of any race can play this role. It doesn't have to be a certain ethnicity. Yeah. And so just the open-mindedness and acceptance of diversity has been so, so huge. And I've started getting... I mean, I was fortunate enough to work with directors before mm -hmm. that happened that gave me chances to learn and grow and become better. Mm -hmm. But after that movie came out, I just felt like it was so prominent and that I was getting the chance to play a lot more dynamic and complex characters yeah. than before. I'm just like welling up right now with like joy just oh. because <laughs> I feel you're so right. It's just it's hard to put into words the full impact that that movie had on not you know the entertainment industry people in general it it's so real and it's so tangible it we always joke about you know the bamboo ceiling but it really it shattered that yes um yes and i remember i saw it like early release opening day and i bought um somebody i was uh, seeing at the time who was not asian but he was an adoptee you know and i was you know we were sitting in a restaurant beforehand and i was telling him about this movie um 
And I was just getting more and more excited. And all of a sudden, you know, he would make fun of me. Oh, we're going to go see a rom-com. But after that conversation, I was telling him just how much it meant to me. He just took a second, paused and looked at me so sincerely and says, this isn't just a movie for you. This is real. Mm -hmm. And I get it now. And that moment, like, that is what I wish everybody would see about that movie. It's not just a movie. It's It represents everything for the Asian American community. And it just means a lot. So I'm so glad yes. that, that it really, truly, positively affected, you know, your livelihood and just your passions and all of that. Oh, yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think that so many of us have just such special experiences with our first time seeing that movie. I mean, I cried so many times. I cried. I, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I I mean, it was so embarrassing. Like, I saw it with my boyfriend, and um, he was, like, very excited to see it with me because he had read a lot about, I mean, just the tweets and just the outpouring of mm -hmm. social media support this movie was receiving. And he had read all of that, and he's just like, I'm so excited mm -hmm. to see this with you because he knows how important just Asian representation oh. in Hollywood has been to me. And mm -hmm. so I, <laughs> it was, I, the credits, the credit music oh. came on and I just started bawling because I, like, I was thinking about it afterwards and I was like, oh my goodness, this is so embarrassing. What is going on <laughs> with me? But it was just hearing a Mandarin song yes. in a mainstream movie theater and just feeling like, I had only ever heard that kind of music mm -hmm. in those festivals that I would go to, like those small niche communities that I had to actively seek out to feel a part of something. Mm -hmm. And then just to hear that sound just triggered something in me yeah. in a theater where there were all like everyone, mm -hmm. like America was seeing that. And that was just a really touching moment. I, oh, my like, heart is like feeling all those emotions again. I, you're exactly right. That is hearing the first thing spoken in that movie in Chinese. I just I lost it. My friend looked over to me like, what is wrong with you? Like, I'm just feeling, don't mind me. And I just, oh, yeah, it was totally embarrassing. But also like, so it, it was empowering. It was special. It was, yeah, I right there yes. with you. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not alone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did the same thing when the trailer for The Farewell came on. Balls. Just oh, cried. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. That one was great. Do you have any recommended sources for adoptees to check out or any adoptee idols that you have? Yeah, I I love, like you mentioned, the subtle Asian adoptee traits is such a great resource, I think, mm -hmm. just to, um, I don't know, just to feel like you're part of a community. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned before, Dear Adoption, um, is a really great website where adoptees can submit essays um, about their relationship with adoption or just their adoption stories. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a really great resource just to read more from other people. Overcoming Odds is a group that I did some work with for some time, and they are all about supporting adoptees and just making sure people don't feel alone and that they have the resources that they need. Mm -hmm. Um uh, one of my adoptee idols is Cindy Wilson. Hey. She wrote Too Much Soul, um, and she is just phenomenal. I mean, she is a Korean adoptee who was adopted by an African-American couple in the South. And so she just has such a 
cool fusion of cultures and an understanding Mm -hmm. of the world that is just really, really interesting to read about. I really enjoyed her book. And I got to play a character who had a similar experience to her, um, which was really interesting. And so I had to do a lot of research on her Mm -hmm. (laughs) to prepare for that role. Mm -hmm. And I just love the way that she talks about her journey and her storytelling is really cool. So I think that she is someone who is really interesting to research and just Mm -hmm. to hear more about the adoptee experience from someone who has a really unique one um, and has a really special journey. Absolutely. That is such a unique um, that is such a unique perspective to have. I'll definitely have to check her out a little bit more. She sounds amazing. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I just ordered the book online and I mean, it's super easy to get and it's a really good read. So nice. I work with um, a literacy organization. So books, I'm all about it. I'll have to. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, where can people find you on the web? Yeah, my social media is at Kira Omens, so K-I-R-A-O-M-A-N-S on Instagram and Twitter. You can just look up Kira Omens on Facebook. I have a Facebook page. My website is www.kiraomens.com. And I definitely love to hear from you. I really love hearing from adoptees. I get people just dropping into my DMs all the time who are adoptees and just want to chat. And I'm super down to just meet new people and to learn more about other people. Um So definitely feel free to shoot me a message. That's awesome. Thank you so much again. It was so exciting to hear from you and to speak with you um, and hear all about your experience as, you know, coming from a lot of different vantage points of being an Asian adoptee. Of course. This was so much fun. I love what you guys are doing. I'm really excited to be part of this. And I thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Um, If anybody else listening is interested in participating in one of our episodes, you can email us at adoptedpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on our Instagram at adopted underscore podcast and stay connected. Uh, We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Thank you.